0: Welcome to another episode of Harvest Series, a podcast following a four-day experience in Kaplankaya on the southwestern Asian coast of Turkey, filled with fascinating talks and workshops to harvest knowledge and nurture the planet, an event produced by Athena Advisors and Capital Partners.
1: When I was young and I had that experience where I, I always felt sensitive to space, I started going... On a mission to understand more, so I went on retreats to study uh, sacred geometry, electromagnetism, um, earth energies, geomancy, feng shui, vastu shastra, all these different ancient arts, astrology, and uh, in 2014, I kind of put them together in a platform online called dosin which is breaks down the thoughts, sentiments, and energies of a scene or region of space, and basically you can go in and put your date, time, and location of birth. And um, in real time, it uses a parametric modeling tool and the astrological and Vedic algorithms overlaid with uh, a biomimetic form. And in real time, using those algorithms, this, this form is created.
0: I am Rose, a French journalist based in Barcelona. And this episode is an interview made in Kaplankaya with a multifaceted American architect, designer, artist and investor John Brevett. He delves into sustainability, discussing his remarkable new project in Iceland, a six-senses resort harmoniously nestled in nature. Additionally, John shares the profound impact of a meningitis he experienced during adolescence, a pivotal moment that caused the loss of all his memories. Hello, John. Hi. Thank you for being with us. You are inspired by the biomimicry, imitation of nature in uh, general. How does it apply in uh, architecture?
1: That's a good question. There are a lot of ways that we could apply biomimicry in our everyday lives. If you look at the array of solar panels, for example, if you look to nature as uh, an example, on how we can structure an array to maximize photosynthesis. Or if you look at the design of, for example, a B-52 bomber, right? From the section view, it's very similar to certain bird types. So these are just two very simple examples. But we're looking to nature to influence and direct how the best design is because nature's evolved over millions of years and it, it knows the right direction. So to me, biomimicry is just about taking inspiration from nature at different scales. And when it comes to architecture, we have a different philosophy about how biomimicry can be applied. Because for me personally, it's been a, a journey to understand how spaces make us feel. And so that's kind of pulling it back a bit. But when I was sick as a child, I was in a hospital bed for many, many months, and you know we talked a bit about this before. But in sterile spaces, you can definitely smell the smell, the touch, the taste, the the colors. It it impacts us and where we live. And my heart goes out to those who recently were hit by the hurricane in Florida, because mold, for example, indoor air quality, all these um, important elements of our interior space impact our health, the health of our families. So it's, to me, uh, biomimicry is one sliver of it, right? Because the first thing we have to do is address some of these environmental internal air quality, getting these basic needs met. But then as we we progress, we can start to think about materiality using materials uh, that are carbon negative, using materials that help us feel connected to the earth. Um, using forms that allow us to feel better within the space. So form is something that we we were gonna go into a bit on this talk, but when we look at creating forms, it makes most sense in terms of the application when it's, for example, a car or a plane because that's a direct application of how the wind works with the form of the car. When, when you talk about architecture, those same rules still apply because wind, you have to think about the engineering, you have to think about all these loads and how that works. But for for me, it's about creating spaces that help heal people while you're in them. And so, yeah, that's that's the most important thing for us.
0: You've shown me like this beautiful project of uh, star-shaped bungalows. They're beautiful. They must be like very difficult to, uh, it must be like a proper challenge to build them. And what's the goal, what's behind this project of uh, star-shaped bungalows?
1: The goal of the project was essentially to create a healing meditation space. And as it evolved, we thought, well, you can actually embed composting toilets within these spaces. you scale it up a bit, you could have rainwater harvesting You could have a solar panel array connected to it. And these could essentially be little off-grid homes, but that double as a meditation space. So for me, um, it's been about creating space that enhances the life of the inhabitants and testing that a bit and seeing how people feel differently in this space versus in a traditional box. So the goal was not just to create a beautiful piece of art, but something that takes in some of the technologies that are leading us to a more regenerative, sustainable future, integrating those and then creating a space that enhances life.
0: What are the material you use like uh, for sustainability and the one you try to avoid?
1: Well, we try to avoid plastics at, at all costs. Believe it or not, there have been great advancements in different types of concretes using recycled material i have a friend of mine that's working on a product called renco out of turkey that's really interesting using a composite material because you know these type of products use a lot of whether it's recycled materials they are more lightweight you have to think about several things several mm-hmm. factors when it comes to sustainability and that's why i kind yes. of hesitate when i talk about it okay. because yeah oftentimes there's this stigma around like oh, okay i'm going to be sustainable i'm going to drive a tesla but you have to think about several things, embodied energy, dissipation. You have to think about, okay, well, do you know it's probably more sustainable for you to keep your current car for the whole life cycle of your car than to trade it in for a Tesla, even though it's a, you know, it's a gas machine. When you buy a Tesla and no, nothing against Tesla, right? But <laughs> you're, you're essentially uh, digging up all these rare earth metals, right? You have to ship those rare earth metals to different factories around the world and then those factories assemble it together and, you know, there's a lot of energy that goes into making them. So um, it's the same thing with solar panels, right? Yeah. Maybe it's not so sustainable to line the interstate highway with solar panels because, you know, are they efficient enough at at the moment to, you know, and do they last as long? How long do they need to be swapped out? So, you know, how many uh, rare earth metals need to be mined for for this solar panel? So these, you know, sustainability is not as easy of a topic as, okay, do this or buy this. Yes. Yeah. It, it is easier to say, okay, well, plastics are horrible for our environment and for our oceans and microplastics. And we talk about these things that are a bit easier. But when it comes to life cycles and thinking about these types of things, it's a, it's a bit more of an in-depth engineering challenge because you really have to study life cycles to see what is what's the best approach here.
0: John speaks about healing, a topic deeply personal to him due to a traumatic teenage experience. At the age of 14, he battled meningitis and encephalitis, plunging into a coma, enduring excruciating pain and losing all memory. This life-altering event sparked his fascination with the life-cycle and transpersonal experiences those experiences that encompass a sense of identity extending beyond the individual to embrace broader facets of humankind, life, psyche, or cosmos. When you talk about the nature, so uh, you also include, and that's special about you, the cosmos. Can you tell us more about this in your vision of an, an architect, including the cosmos, into your uh, buildings and your projects?
1: Yeah. So um, this kind of goes into a bit of
0: yeah, my architectural we'll have a, yeah.
1: philosophy. When I was young and I had that experience where I I'd always felt sensitive to space, I started going on a mission to, to understand more. So I went on retreats to study uh, sacred geometry, electromagnetism, Earth energies, geomancy, feng shui, vastu shastra, all these different ancient arts and astrology. In 2014, I kind of put them together in a platform online called Dhocine, which is breaks down the thoughts, sentiments, and energies of a scene or region of space. And basically you can go in and put your date, time, and location of birth. And um, in real time, it uses a parametric modeling tool and the astrological and Vedic algorithms overlaid with. Uh, a biomimetic form in real time using those algorithms. This this form is created. Now, originally, when I was in college, and I think when all kids are in college, they have the bright and bushy-tailed, excited to, to conquer the world. But then afterwards, you realize that you know nobody really cares. You're just a <laughs> kid coming out of college, and you have to actually work and go for an architecture firm, and you know I did all the architecture firms, the interior design firms, work and again. I just felt a bit disenchanted. But the idea was, oh, I want to create these beautiful things. And, and so I did the three-letter word for disappointing your parents, which is art. And so that's where I started applying these tools. That's so this Thosine thing and creating it first with art. The idea being to eventually scale it to architecture, to kind of find ways to create healing spaces or healing temples for the future, much like we did in the past. So taking inspiration from the past, these ancient arts, Combine them together. So when you talk about the cosmos, it's using the astrological Vedic algorithms, and and creating these kind of tuning forks. These um, and then geomancy, feng shui, using all these elements together to create healing spaces. So that's kind of where some of that that came from. then we try to reference that in our works uh, as much as we can.
0: So healing, I guess now we will really have to talk about what happened to you when you were 14. Mm -hmm. You had um, meningitis and uh, encephalitis, do I pronounce well? Yes. (laughs) So you lost your memory. That's crazy at uh, 14, 15 years old when you woke up and you had this experience I would say terrible but maybe you you're going you perceive it now differently like yeah. where you died many times you are you went into a coma can you yeah. tell us more uh, about what you experienced at the time
1: yeah. yeah yeah memory is a funny thing I think that uh sometimes as humans we we hold on to memories as who we think we are in a way but they're just um it's all, often to, the way I perceive a memory is like a dream you know it comes and it goes but um but except for the lessons that we learned from them can be ingrained in our DNA in a way. But, um, getting back to your question, uh, when I was young, I got, uh, very ill and, um, started with just a regular cold flu and ended up, um, being and meningitis, which is a swelling of the brain and the spinal cord and, um, had obviously some very traumatic experience, some out of body experiences where, um, during seizures, it left my body, um, and they had to drill holes into my skull to release the pressure on my brain. Um, you know, had me tied down. I was screaming at the top of my lungs because my brain was swelled up against my skull, and the pain was was unbearable. Mm-hmm. The time of that. At least exp-
0: you remember this.
1: I, I do remember elements of of the experience. Of the pain. Of the yeah, pain. I remember. There are certain things I remember. For example. I was being strapped down vertically, screaming like "kill me" to the doctors because oh, my. because my head was so my brain was pushing against the skull, and it was very very painful experience. I remember there I woke up one time and they were taking tubes out of my stomach or things like that. I remember uh, some death experience being out of my body, uh, but coming back, I didn't have a recollection of my past or who I was really. But there was it's just a very strange experience. And then when I went, started going back to school again, I wouldn't remember going to school the day before. So it was a very... some As we took some, time to... Yeah. Some people say it's lucky because, you know, when when your kids, you, your parents program you or they yell at you or say something or whatever. And then and for me, I was able to kind of start fresh, you know, without that, you know, childhood, whatever things that everybody kind of deals with. And also if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So the pain and the suffering is actually a really, really good thing. But, but, um, being in a hospital room, I felt the space, I felt connected to this white canvas box, it's kind of scary, the smell, the feeling, you know, to this day, when I go into a hospital, it's, um, get this sensory. That's why you me added your
0: own, uh, colors and shapes in your head or, uh, and why you develop this, uh, need for architecture and uh, yeah. spaces.
1: Yeah. So, um, during that time period, I was having these, I mean, I guess medically called hallucinations or whatnot. That's part of encephalitis and meningitis. Waking and sleeping was seeing patterns and geometries and, you know, seeing different realms, so to speak so i became very fascinated with otherworldly places and uh, you know the energy of where we are very sensitive to space and that became a big theme going throughout as well as the theme of non-duality which is was the theme of these series of sketches i did during that time uh as well as what we do today you know when we talk about community is non-duality as a as a personal experience and non-duality as a community experience. And what I mean by that is if there weren't any lines on the map, what will people be fighting over? How do we go back to community? You know, non-duality in a personal life is reducing the layer of self and other because ultimately in this, that experience or going through this, the idea of, of separateness, the idea that it's just, it's illusory. And the more that we focus on that separateness, the more we cause challenges in our life both personal and interpersonal because we're perceiving the other it's, it's them versus them, but really it's, it's all fictitious.
0: John moved to Ibiza and now lives in a stunning house. He redesigned. He filled it with beautiful artworks inspired by nature, which he made himself. He also started an architecture studio there. Moreover, He's been deeply engaged in an exceptional project as a creative director, chairman, and co-founder of the Six Senses Osura Valley in Iceland. The sneak peeks of this project are nothing short of breathtaking. Anticipated to open its doors in 2026, this hotel project is brimming with captivating surprises. You are the architect, you've been chosen to be the architect for um, this amazing project of the Six Senses in uh, Iceland. We are in the Six Senses in Kaplankaya. I saw some pictures, it's going to be fabulous with a lot of nature and everything. What's your relationship with this uh, project?
1: Well, I have a very deep relationship with the project. <laughs> so it's been an experience that really evolves a soul when you when you take on a project like this in a special place like Iceland. Uh, My business partner and I purchased uh, around uh, 4,000 acres in Iceland years ago. I think it's around 2017 or something like that. I I went in like the young architect from college thinking, okay, this is going to be a community of the future, this big, bold idea. And then time came in and reality hit and working with the local authorities, you know, working with the locals of what they wanted and what the nature of the land spoke to us. It took us six years to rezone the property. And being on the architecture and the development side of that is a very humbling process, but it's beautiful the way it is. I applaud Iceland for the protection of their nature and the protection of their land. It's one of the most beautiful places in the world. And our goal is to protect the local community to enrich the local community, protect the land, protect nature, and these ethereal elements that are embedded within it as well. So originally we had these 4,000 acres and the idea was to plant as many trees as we can, hopefully 50,000, thousands of trees. And the idea is to bring back to Iceland to what it originally was. Because when the Vikings came, they chopped all the trees down to build their mm, their homes, their villages, yeah. to build their, their Viking ships. And so Iceland doesn't have a lot of trees. So we're working with the locals to bring back the native trees that were originally there. Okay. And um, when we worked with the government, they said, okay, well, you have this beautiful valley with all these waterfalls. Don't even think about touching it. So you're not building anywhere near there. And... This is the number one gathering place of swans in all of Europe. We didn't know that when we got the land. So you're not building anywhere close to this coastline here. You need to protect the swans. Okay, the locals, when we bought the land and the local community, they said that there are elf homes on the land. So 80%, something like 80% of Icelanders believe in elves. So that became these areas that we had to protect so we couldn't build anywhere near the elf homes because there's elves That's over wonderful. here and there's okay. the elves over here. <laughs> and um, then they're like, oh, well, we found these Viking artifacts here, here in these red areas on the map. So you build all around there. So oh,
0: you're going to make another uh, yeah, note the end.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so they're like, your buildable area is around 70 acres now and like, don't touch any of this other stuff. So our site plans, our um, designs have gone through this evolutionary change based on the needs and the requests. And so when you get investors in there, you know, they want to have a flag involved and there's no better flag, in my opinion, that connects with what Iceland wants in Six Sense's because what Six Sense's does is they really try to bring in community. So they, there's, for example, even at this Six Sense's, I imagine there's a big staff facility, there's grocery stores that you know, you're really creating a mini city. And so when you create this mini city, there are a lot of elements to that, but you're supporting the local community. We started working with them uh, a couple of years ago and understanding their sustainable cri- criteria, working with Bream, you know, these types of things. And it's been a long journey. It's still, still early phase, even though we've been working on it for a long time. Yeah, it's it's um, it's a really exciting project and it's very Beautiful, beautiful, special place, Iceland.
0: And it's going to be connected to nature like you like. Yeah. yeah. That's why yeah. you've been uh, chosen, because of your project, previous project, and your love of nature. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, um, Iceland actually has a very special energy to it. And you almost feel like you're on another planet when you when you go there. Uh, not only does it have the cleanest water in the world, cleanest air in the world, happiest country, healthiest country, low, very low income inequality. I think the lowest income inequality. Iceland is actually an example in a way. I mean, yes, some of it's luck because they have the clean water and the clean air, but the way that they've worked with um, each other as a community, just their attitude as as a people, you know, they're very straightforward, very direct, and very connected to the earth. So it's a it's a great example.
0: In what way could we say that hospitality could take us to a more uh, meaningful experience?
1: To me, it's about connecting us deeper with nature, using, there's several factors, right? There's smell, there's there's taste, there's touch, there's um, materiality, using warm recycled materials, texture, form. I think that these are are, are things that we need to think about a lot because it's it's an incentive structure, which is one of the challenges of, of developing versus being a designer or architect, because you're incentivized in a way to use the cheaper materials, but the cheaper materials are going to fall apart within 10 years, or you need a redesign. But when you build something like a, with a wabi-sabi style, something that's very warm, really good materials... Yes, you might want to refinish the wood, but you're not going to replace the wood. It's solid wood, you know, or it's recycled wood or whatnot. Mm. So using materials that last, buildings that last. If you build something that's, you know, very unique and special, like it's not going to be torn down. If you build it with good quality materials, it's not going to be torn down. It might be renovated or whatnot. But I think too often we build with crappy materials where it's not you know, just build these boxes and then, oh, okay, we just tear them down and we'll just build something new. And it's like the example with the Tesla, it's more sustainable. Like, look, if you have a house and you feel like it doesn't fit the style, renovate it or what, whatnot, you know? You shouldn't just tear it down, you know, unless there's some structural issues with it, of course, but it's a lot more sustainable to do that than to Yeah, it's such a
0: waste and a waste be, of material exactly. and everything, okay. Yeah. John, I would like to ask uh, with the same question I'm asking to all the guests uh, of this podcast. It's uh, the great harvest of the day. If something easy or simple could be done and uh, would change the world, would make the world a better place, what would it be for you?
1: So for me, as people are starting to wake up a bit more to some of these environmental issues, to to some of these causes that I think most people at Harvest believe in, are passionate about, which are really wonderful. I think the one thing that sometimes goes overlooked that I feel like would make a big difference is generosity. I think that wherever we can during this time, if we can find little ways in our lives to become more generous with each other, with anything that we can be generous with, if you can't afford to be generous with your wallet, be generous with your time. You know, help. People that that need help in your local community find a way to build bonds with your local community through that generosity, through that kindness. You could tell a lot about a place when you move there, and you see how your neighbors act towards you. I recently moved to Ibiza, and you know the, our neighbors embraced us. They were so kind and helpful and generous. And I've been thinking a lot about how we could be more generous to them and doing things, bringing them in for. To our home for dinner, bringing you know, do whatever we can to open our hearts for more generosity in our lives is something I feel like would help move move us forward in a more connected way.
0: Beautiful, John. Thank well, you. thank you so much for thank being you. with us and uh, enjoy uh, Kaplankaya.
1: I'm grateful to be here. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode featuring architect and designer john brevard where he shares his powerful journey his experience with meningitis led to memory loss but sparked a profound interest in geometry and healing spaces shaping a new life path his visionary approach to biomimicry and his unique project in iceland are truly captivating i hope you found it inspiring we'd love to hear your thoughts. Please consider leaving us a positive review or reaching out on Instagram at harvestseries. Don't forget you can catch all our podcast episodes on youtube.com/harvestseries. Our next episode highlights Dave Asprey, a renowned biohacker. Join us for an exploration of food, exercise and sleep based on an enlightening interview from his retreat in Kaplankaya with Harvest a few months ago. Stay tuned for more enriching conversations.